We're going to continue the series on free indeed. And this is something you may not have heard in your churches growing up. Maybe you have. I don't know. Does it look weird? Does it look weird? Is it upside, is it upside down? All right. I think somebody sat on it when it was on the front row. You get it all weirded up. But, but we've been talking about free indeed uh, two weeks ago before Andrew and John and Kathy came. And the Word of God says in John 8.36... Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. This is not a theory. This is not a philosophy. This is the heart of God. That He wants you to be absolutely free. You know, I thought I was free before I was free. I really did. If someone had told me I was in bondage, in fact, when Dick Robinson did tell me, I didn't believe him. I thought he was old, senile, and a little crazy. And he was right, and I was wrong. But, you know, you get used to being with yourself for a long time, all your life, You've been with yourself. And your view of normal is your view of normal. And sometimes God has another whole view of normal he wants to take you into, but we have to trust God with it. But he said, he the son sets free is free indeed. One third of Jesus' ministry was preaching and teaching, another third healing the sick, another third was casting out demons. Demons are real, and, they, uh, and Jesus really did cast them out of people. It never did say he cast them off of people. It always says he casts them out. I know we get into a debate in our mind like, well, I don't like the idea of them being in me. I'm more comfortable with the thought of them being on me. And some are not comfortable with them in any way whatsoever. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I get it. I understand it. Because, but I want you to know something. It is real. The person, the character who doesn't want you to believe it is real is the devil. Because he wants you not to be free indeed. In order for you to be free indeed, you must first come to the realization that you have some bondage in your life you need to be free from. Okay, those are the people that can't get free are the people that don't understand they're in bondage. So in the, I'm going to just go over some stuff I mentioned two weeks ago, just as a refresher. But the word demon is in the New Testament 82 times and 61 times in the Gospels alone. So it's not a minor theme in there, okay? It's not minor. It's a major theme of the New Testament. It's a, Jesus said, I came. The reason I came was to destroy the works of the enemy, Okay. That's a major theme. We saw that the demons have organized structure in their rankings. They have rulers, authorities, principalities, and powers. There's a hierarchy system in their government set up, and Satan is their leader. Okay? We also saw the word angel means a sent messenger and comes from an unused root meaning to dispatch as a deputy. So he dispatches his demonic angels to do his bidding, and they have a message, and this message is going to be antichrist. It's going to be anything that's anti-Christ, that's the message they're going to be giving, okay? The word um, for spirit means a current of air, breath, blast, or a breeze. Now, I've felt these breaths, blasts, and breezes before. I felt them in a good way where it felt like, man, there must be an angel in front of me because it feels good. And I felt some other times when I've been around certain people, a different breath, blast of something. And it wasn't, I'm not talking about gas right now, even though I... (laughs) do have a tendency to go there sometimes, but this is not what I mean, but I do feel like there's something coming off that person that doesn't feel very heavenly. I don't feel very edified, and they're not even talking yet. They're not even doing something. I just perceive it like, ooh, there's something. I think I'll go this way, <laughs> unless God makes me go back that way. So anyway, um, but the biggest thing I want you to know is the demons are real, and their agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy your life, your life, not someone else's life. Yes to that too, but your life, my life. That is their job, their agenda, and you don't get a free pass from it. 
You can just, you can't say, well, I just don't believe in demons, so therefore they can't bother me. Well, you can say that, but it's not going to help you much. Okay? The biggest takeaway from part one of the series isn't, the fact, isn't just the fact that demons are real. The biggest point I wanted to emphasize last, two weeks ago is the supremacy of Christ over demons. It says he cast out demons with the finger of God. He didn't just use the mighty arm of God or his mighty right hand. It said his finger, like, bink, then you know, bink, you get out of here, boom, and they're gone. Okay? Sometimes we've elevated the demons that are way up here, and God and something's way down here, and it's just so not right. And when he throws out, uh, throws a devil in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, he doesn't send a whole fleet of angels. Jesus does not go himself. He sends one angel, hey, you, you bored? You got some time in your hand? Hey, go get the devil, throw him in that pit for a thousand years. He is not as powerful as the world and the devil wants to make you think that he is. Okay? He is not all-knowing. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-powerful. He is a defeated foe that tries to influence how you think and believe. And he takes hurts, offenses, bitterness, and all these things to kind of create junk in your heart so that he has room in your heart to live, in your heart to affect how you think, feel, and how you treat other people. How you treat your spouse, how you treat yourself, how you treat your neighbor. He wants to influence how you act and think, okay? So he does have spiritual power, but all his authority has been taken away and given to Jesus. So it's not like he's powerless. He does have power, but it's, it's his authority has been taken away and given to Jesus. And Jesus gave that delegated authority to us. There's a difference between authority and power. Power, you know, like you think of the police, there's power in the police system. And you're a police officer, you know, when you go out and you pull a gun on somebody, you say, stop in the name of the law. You know, all of the, gov- all the authority in the government behind you, the police force, is behind you in this. If this guy tries to mess with you, all of them are going to come and, and help. Okay? Uh, they, so, that, but when there's, he has power. He can do things. But you have to give him that authority in your life for him to do it. You, physically, you spiritually have to give him authority in your life for him to manifest in your life. And sometimes the way you do it by ignorance. Sometimes I definitely did it by ignorance. And I maybe still do. I hope I don't, praise God. But if I do, God will show it to me and we'll get more free indeed. Amen. So today we're going to continue this series by looking at um, demonic activity and demonic spirits in the Old Testament. We're going to look at types and shadows of demons in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at the question, can Christians be demon-possessed? Okay? Uh, Everyone's favorite question. So any major theme in the New Testament, any major theme in the New Testament that I know of, that I've seen, has a type and a shadow of it in the Old Testament. And the Jews say, the Messianic Jews say, in the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, if you can't see it in the Torah, you won't see it in the New Testament and vice versa. That's what they say. And you know what? I found that to be true. It is true. Every major theme, think of, uh, think of um, Noah's Ark. There's types of shadows of Jesus all through the Old Testament, isn't there? Noah's Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, the Tabernacle of Moses, all those things were types and shadows of Jesus and many other things were like that. Communion, we can see communion in the Old Testament. We see baptism in the Old Testament, we see redemption, salvation, and we see deliverance from bondage in the Old Testament, don't we? We see wars and fighting, these attacks, the enemies of God coming against the children of God. Again and again, we see this theme all throughout the Old Testament. Well, the theme hasn't changed, okay? The devil from the beginning is still after the sons and daughters of God because he hates God, he wants to hurt you. If he can hurt you, he's hurting God, it makes him happy, okay? You're just stuck in the middle of it, so am I, so... Um, demons are, and unclean spirits are mentioned in the Old Testament far more than we may have realized. 
We know we see it when Jesus walking around saying stuff. But in the Old Testament, it's there a lot. And I'm going to show you some of these examples just, or just tell you some. I'll have some scripture, some I'll just tell you because I know you'll remember. In the Garden of Eden, we see, uh, we see the devil or a demon talking to Adam and Eve through a snake. Anyone else find that a little bit odd? So I think maybe back then, maybe all the animals spoke, maybe before the flood or something. I don't know, because they didn't seem tripped out by this talking snake in a tree. Uh, in, the, in the particular tree, they weren't supposed to be near. And they're just having this conversation with a snake. Can you imagine that? They have this little mouth or maybe a big one, a python, or we don't know what the thing was. But I wouldn't be too cool with that. I mean, I'd want to run over the lawnmower or something. Uh, not too cool talking snake. But you see the very beginning, opening scene of the Bible, we see the devil and we see good, and we see evil. Noah's ark. Right before God told Noah to build this ark in Genesis 6, we see it says the sons of God took wives from the daughters of men. The sons of God weren't you and I, like we're the sons of God now. The sons of God, they're referring to demonic spirits, came down and took wives from the children of men, and they had babies with them. If you don't know it, go back and read Genesis 6. You'll see it there. They're called the Nephilim. And they were half man and half demonic creatures. They were the giants. This is men of renown. Possibly, I mean, oh, well, I'll say that today because I can't back it up today, but I've said it before. Possibly, well, anyway, forget it. Um, possibly something else. But anyway, half demonic, half human creatures. Okay? It's in the Bible, Genesis 6. Think about the days of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Very painful thing. He's in prison. He's interpreting the guy's dreams in there. And he says, remember me when you get out. The guy doesn't remember. Two years later, the, the pharaoh has a dream, and he has these fat, fat cows, skinny cows, and the fat cows eating the skinny cows and vice versa and stuff like that. And then he wants to know the interpretation of this dream, so he calls the magicians and the wise men of Egypt to come and interpret these dreams. And the magicians aren't necessarily magicians that we have today in different shows and stuff you go to where they're doing little flower popping tricks and little rabbit out of the hat and stuff like that. These are actually witchcraft sorcerers and things like that that are doing demonic arts to try to get information from an unknown source. Anytime you go to an unknown source for information, you're opening your heart, your life to the door of demons. Your information and life source is God Almighty himself. We don't go asking dark forces, horoscopes, and all that kind of stuff, trying to get information to predict something about your life. You want something about your life? Get a prophetic word. You come ask me for one. I'll get one somehow. It might, be, it might take me a little while. might not. But we'll see how it starts flowing. But anyone can prophesy when they have the Spirit of God in them. He says, pray that you may prophesy. Pray that you may, when they pray in tongues, you may interpret. All right? Now, we see this even more clearly in Moses' day. This is a weird story. Well, I don't know what it is with God and snakes sometimes. But uh, he, he's got something about him. But Exodus 7, you know this story. Moses is in the wilderness. He has his encounter with God. And uh, the burning bush thing, take, what, take your staff, throw it down. A piece of wood became a snake. Try it sometime. I don't know how much success you'll have. But a piece of wood, his walking stick, became a snake. Okay? Then he tells him, pick it up by the tail, which you don't want to do to a snake because they'll coil back around and bite you. But this one didn't. It turned back to wood afterwards. Okay, so now uh, he sends Moses and Aaron back to Pharaoh. He wants to say, let the people go. You know, God said that same message from the very beginning of time, let my people go. Let them go. But you have to come into agreement with God in this. Exodus 7, 10 through 12 says this. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Wild. 
Imagine doing that in church on Sunday. Maybe they do that in West Virginia, I don't know, or whatever, they, those places they have the snakes in the boxes, I don't know what, wherever they do that, but uh, I don't know. But anyway, verse 11, but you did that? That's scary. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Anybody else read that? For every man, verse 12, threw down their rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Okay, I'm glad that Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. That's the best part of the story. But every man that they brought before Pharaoh copied Moses and Aaron, and every, there's snakes everywhere. We don't know how many men they brought in. Everybody did that. How did they do that? How did they do that? It, it, it literally happened. It's in the Word of God. Okay, it happened by demonic power. Demonic power, okay? There's a confrontation between demonic power and heavenly power in the Bible. We see it in the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way to the last day, the last day when the devil's bound forever. Let me show you this, another thing in Leviticus 19, 31. It says, give no regard to mediums, to familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I, the Lord, your, I am the Lord your God. So going to psychics calling psychic hotlines and things like that, trying to get some information about your life or if this guy's going to like you, if he's going to marry you, if he's got a crush on you, all this kind of stuff, you need to ask Jesus and nobody else. Maybe a friend, family member, loved one, that's fine. You don't go to a medium that goes to talk to demonic spirits and say they caught up the spirit of your grandmother and start giving you information only your grandmother knew. It's still the devil. He's telling them what to say. It's not your grandmother. It's not your aunt, uncle, cousin. It's not your dad. It's not Billy Bob from down the street. It's a devil talking through the person to give you the information you need to kind of get the hooks into you so they can have you for life. Steal, kill, and destroy. Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. These things are frowned upon. Do you know why? Because they're demonic. And Jesus, God Almighty, doesn't want you to become demonized. All right, we'll get into that more later. He's trying to protect you. He doesn't have this whole list of rule book stuff in there to say, uh, don't do this because I don't want you to have any fun. He wants to protect you from getting demonized. Do you know how many people are, are demonized that have stuff going on in their life, night terrors, horrors and stuff, and they don't have anyone to talk to about it. They're afraid to tell anybody because they're afraid that they might think they're crazy. And it's way more common than people think. Judges 3, 7 says this, so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashwars. These are idols that they worshipped. You see, many times in the Bible, they raise up these uh, poles to Baal, poles to Ashwar, and they served them, and they bowed down and worshipped them, did incense to them. What are they doing? They're worshipping demons. They're worshipping demons. And guess what? If you're worshipping a demon, you're going to have some. You're going to have some, maybe more than some, a few. Psalm 106, 37 says this, they even sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. So maybe they start out with a median. Maybe they start out with something they thought was innocent. Let's just worship to this Baal. Let's worship to this ashram pole. Let's do incense here and pray. And after a while, this thing has influenced them so much, they're killing their own sons or daughters to demons. 
Call that abortion. Call that abortion. They're, they're aborting their kids. Uh, uh, who led them to do that? Demonic spirits. God's never going to lead you. And if you had one, grace to you. You are forgiven. I don't mean it like that. But the Holy Spirit of God is never going to lead you to kill your child. The spirit of fear will. What are people going to think? They find out I'm pregnant before I get married. The spirit of fear will. How am I going to provide? How am I going to pay? The spirit of fear will. But God won't. Think about King Saul. 1 Samuel 16, 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And that part, last part kind of troubles me too. Uh, let me read again. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul when he sinned. The spirit left him. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, this distressing spirit was actually a demon spirit under the influence or power of Satan. And God gave permission once Saul sinned, that's hard to say, uh, sent that spirit to Saul to torment him because he displeased the Lord. We can see that in the Bible. And you remember King David would come sometimes before he was king, and he'd play the harp for him, and that spirit would subside and leave him for a time and then come back. Do you guys see these stories are in the Bible a lot? It's a major theme in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So a very strange story, but it's something that is, is true. Or how about Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Think about that story. First Kings 18, Elijah has a major confrontation with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asher on Mount Carmel. Dave, Mark, and I have been there with John. We've been there uh, seen, overlooking this, the spot where it happened. 400, there's 900, 850 people there, and then there's Elijah and probably some other people watching. It's a major confrontation between all these prophets and Elijah. And you guys, I'm sure, know the story. They say, he says to the people, Elijah says this, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And they have this, this battle. Let's do this. Let's come to this agreement. We're going we're gonna to sacrifice a bull here. You can go first. Call on your God. If fire comes down, consumes the offering, then Baal is God. If fire comes down when I do it from God, then God is God. They're like, all right, they agree to this. So the, the, uh, the prophets, the false prophets go first, and they go from uh, early morning till about 3 in the afternoon, and they're cutting themselves, they're dancing around, they're doing all these trying to, things to try to make their God, who's not even really, he's not real. It's an image, it's an idol, it's not real, it's fake, okay? They want their, their image, their God to do these things, and nothing happened. And uh, Elijah starts making fun of him. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Like he literally says that. Maybe he's, in the, he's going to the bathroom. He's too busy right now. They were going from like 8, 9 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon. Nothing happened. And Elijah says, all right, guys, that's enough. It's my turn. He takes 12 stones, builds an altar representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, just to show you that God is really God, dig a trench around that altar. All right, and after that, I want you to dump 12 large containers of water on that altar. Then he prepares the sacrifice of the bull on that altar. He prays a short prayer and God comes down fire from heaven, consumes the altar, the stones, the sacrifice, the water. It says the dust. It was all gone in a second as soon as he prayed. He didn't have to wait for two hours or eight hours like they did. It was he is the one and only God. His name is Jesus. He is the one and only. Okay? So Elijah had this major encounter with them. And then he, after that, he, he killed them all. That part doesn't really totally carry over to today except for the fact that we're not to t take, have mercy on demonic spirits. 
no mercy on demonic spirits. People, that's, I'm not talking about people. We're not killing people. But um, we're not having mercy on demonic spirits. You know, they will, they will try to make you feel sympathetic towards them. You know, people actually pray for the devil to get saved. They do. They really do. And it's impossible. It's, it's his a foregone conclusion. His destiny is determined by God a long time ago. He made his choice a long time ago. So I want to show you a couple examples, again, from kings. There's different times kings, once they transition, they'd pass away. They'd have this summary at the end of that section in the Bible in 1 Kings and Samuel and different places, 2 Kings. They had this little summary of their life, and they summarized their life and how good they did with taking care of idols. You remember reading those? Okay, I'll give you a couple examples here. This is King Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18, 3 and 4. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that the father, his father David had done. He removed the high places, broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nushatan. So he tore down the high places, sacred pillars, cut down wooden images. What did he do? He took care of idols. And then they actually made something an idol that God once used for good. There was a serpent they put on, the, the bronze serpent they lifted up, and all that looked at were healed of the snake bites. They started worshiping this and offering incense to this thing, thinking that this, this thing had uh, supernatural power or something. And when King Hezekiah found out it was his turn to be king, during his reign, he destroyed it, which I think is great. He destroys that religious spirit that wants to worship something from the past, a symbolic of something that isn't today. Okay? He destroyed it. I think that's great. But guess what? The next generation... His own son didn't do so good. Okay, King Manasseh, this is not Joseph's son Manasseh, but King Hezekiah's son. This is a, a lengthy description of what this guy did. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal. He made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. Who was Ahab? Remember Ahab? What was his wife's name? Jezebel. Very, very evil king. And he, this guy, Hezekiah's son, is now copying Ahab. Okay? And worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord. So in the tabernacle of Moses, he built altars for Baal and other people in God's house. Uh, and uh, in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he also made his sons pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums, and he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And verse 7 tells us that he even carved an image of Asherah and put it in the temple of God. This kid fell far from his dad's tree. Nothing like his dad. But a lot of kings in there, there's 44, I think there's kings listed in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and they all, after they die, had this little summary of their life. And that summary is how they took care of idols, how they handled it, okay? So the Old Testament is filled with stories like this. Now I want to show you types and shadows of demons in the Old Testament, okay? You guys okay? Good. Because you need, you need to hear this. And you know who else need to hear this? Children need to know this. Parents need to know this for the children. Because the devil is after our kids. Not just sexually, not just morally, not just whatever. He is after our kids. He wants them demonized. He does. 
He does. If he had his way, he'd kill every child on the planet, just like he did when Jesus was born, just like he did when Moses was born. He is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He has no mercy. He has no, doesn't have a kind bone. He doesn't have a pause button. He doesn't take a break. He is out to steal, kill, and destroy our lives and our family. And he's after our children. We need to know these things to protect our children because we do have spiritual authority. All right, so Acts 13 says this. Look at types and shadows of demons from the Old Testament. But Acts 13 uh, looks backwards to, to one from Habakkuk. So Acts 13, 40 and 41. Paul says this. Beware, therefore, lest what was spoken in, in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you dispersers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you by no means be- would believe, though one were to t- tell you or declare it to you. This work, just to make mention of this work, is the, talking about the finished work of Jesus. He said, if I was to tell you this, he's referring to a scripture in Habakkuk, I'll tell you, show you in a minute. If I was to tell you this in detail, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And we still have a tough time believing it to this day. But don't we? All that Jesus did for us. So go to Habakkuk. Now we'll look at what Paul quotes here. Habakkuk 1, verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I work a work in your days which you would not believe Though it were told to you. That's what Paul just said. But the very next verse says something different. And before I tell you it, I want you to know that verse 6 is a type and shadow of demons. And it's talking about the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans were a type and shadow of demons. By the time I show you this, I think you'll be convinced. For right now, you can be skeptical. That's okay. I was too. Um, verse 6. Habakkuk 1 says, For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth, means the whole earth, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. There it is. The, the key phrase for demonic activity. They want to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They don't build homes. They don't buy homes. They want to steal homes. They want to steal your home, my home. They don't even care if it's just a room. They don't care if it's a whole house. They can just have a room. They're cool. They're, they're, they're squatters. Is what they are. They're squatters. They hope that you're not going to take notice of them. And, they, you know, just like squatters, they live there for so, so long time. All, all of a sudden, the land or the stuff becomes theirs, which I think is a really stupid rule, just to be honest. If someone owns the land, it's their land. If they want to give it to them, it's different. But we can't let squatters live in our house. We can't let them live in our house. It can't be just pretending to be ignorant or whatever. Demons want a body to live in. We saw this two weeks ago in Mark 5 when I shared that with you guys. But this guy had this whole legion of demons. And Jesus commanded them to leave. They left the man. And, uh, they, but when, once they left, they begged Jesus two things. They said, please don't send us from this area. And please let us go to these pigs. And Jesus allowed both to happen. Why? I don't know. Uh, but I guess the people, maybe the, because the people in that place wanted those demon spirits. They worshiped those things. Okay? So I want to go back to look at this. Why did Paul quote this verse in, uh, in Acts 13, referring back to Habakkuk? Why did Paul say that? He's, just to remind you what he said, the ver, uh, first part of that, Acts 13, 40. It says, Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. So he said, beware, lest this come upon you. Then he starts talking talking about Habakkuk, and it's referring back to uh, the Chaldeans. But the interesting thing, if the scholars of Paul's day would have read what Paul wrote there, it would have said, what is Paul talking about? You know why? They would have thought he was crazy. Do you know why? Because the Chaldeans were utterly destroyed off the face of the earth in 539 B.C. 
There were no more Chaldeans. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, excuse me, prophesied about that. And in Jeremiah 50 and 51 said they'll be utterly destroyed off the face of the earth. Um, the Chaldeans are never mentioned again after that time. And this happened almost 1,500 years before Paul was even born. Yet he said, be aware lest these Chaldeans come upon you because they desire to take dwelling places that are not theirs. So if there is no literal Chaldeans, what would Paul be referring to here? He's referring to demons. He said, be aware lest they come upon you because he, they desire to live in, dwell, in dwelling places that are not theirs. Okay? And let's tell you a little bit more about these Chaldeans just to show you um, that this really is something to be aware of. The Chaldeans, um, just c- comparing Chaldeans with demons. First of all, they were thieves. We saw they, they longed to live in dwelling places that were not theirs. The exhaustive dictionary of Bible names defines the Chaldeans this way, and it simply says this, as it were, demons. That's what it says, as it were, demons, Chaldeans. The root word for Chaldeans means to lay waste, to destroy, or to wander. Does that sound like demons? Steal, kill, and destroy? In, in Matthew 12, Jesus says this. When unspe- I have this in the New Revised Standard Version. It says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, where'd it come out of? A person. Where'd it come out of? A person. Okay? When a demon spirit comes out of a, a person, it wanders through waterless or dry regions looking for a resting place, but it finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came, and when it returns, it finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Demons wander around looking for a home. And the root meaning of the Chaldeans means to lay waste, to destroy, and to wander. Isn't that interesting? They're wandering looking for a place, and the Chaldeans' root meaning, meaning is to wander. Think about this for a minute. Abraham was called out of the region of the Chaldeans. God called him out of there. This is the father, your land, father Ur. I'm calling you out of there to a place you don't know yet. And he left. Um, Job's family were killed by the Chaldeans. When the devil spoke to God, that whole strange story in the Bible, and God gave the devil permission to just don't touch Job, who did the devil go to to send to kill him? It was the Chaldeans. Lot was captured by the Chaldeans, and Abraham came and saved and brought them back. Um, the Chaldeans took over Babylon, and the king, of Nebuch- king Nebuchadnezzar was a Chaldean. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Hebrew men captured by the Chaldeans into slavery in Babylon, what the Chaldeans now ruled and controlled Babylon. And they were given new names. Those weren't their real names. You go back in the Bible and read them. Those are their Chaldean names. Uh, Daniel also was captured and forced to serve King Nebuchadnezzar and given the name Balthazar. Interesting stories. These four men were captured, enslaved, and forced to learn the ways of the Chaldeans. We can see this in Daniel 1.4. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. That was their goal. And you know what? It's a devil's goal still to this day. What they're trying to put in our school textbooks, what they're trying to put in teaching kids about their gender identity, what they're trying to teach, they're after our kids. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing back there. It's just coming in a different form. But the devil has one agenda. It's a steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can have the children, he can have the next generation. But I say no in Jesus' name. Amen. I say this is going to be the best generation of kids we've ever seen coming up in the things of God. So... One, one, a couple more things about Chaldeans. Again, they were destroyed way back in 539 B.C., a long time before Jesus was on the earth. 
And long after they were, were gone, the e- Egypt, Greece, and Rome used the term uh, Chaldeans in connection to magicians, astrologers, and diviners. And the same usage of the term appears in the book of Daniel, where the Chaldeans were linked to soothsayers, conjurers, and sorcerers. They have a connection to demons. And Paul said, be aware, because these demons, these, the Chaldeans weren't alive anymore. They're gone. Be aware, lest they come upon you. And I'm telling you, we've been told in the church a lot of things about demons. Maybe we haven't told anything. We've just been reading the book and figuring it out ourselves. But I want to have a, a metanoia experience, which is repent and change how we think, because you are not exempt. The only way we get exempt is through Christ. And everyone in here, you made to be delivered, need to be delivered from something. And it doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean whatever. It just the devil hates your guts. He hates you. And he, nothing you can do to change that. So can, uh, going, the, the, these demons, these Chaldeans, desire to dwell in places that are not theirs. So I'm going to end with this. Can Christians have demons? Or can Christians be possessed by demons? When this topic comes up, usually I get the same answer from people. And it's the same one I used to give too because that's all I knew. And since you don't hear about it in church, uh, you have to come to your own conclusions and stuff. But they usually say, no, Christians cannot be possessed by demons because possession has the connection with ownership. And we can't be owned by the devil and owned by God at the same time. And guess what? I agree with that. That is right. That's true. That's very logical. But the problem with that is, that thought pattern is, there's two different words for possession. There's one that means possession or ownership. But there's another one that means under the power of. And every time in the New Testament, the word says the person was demon-possessed. It's not possession. It's the word under the power of or under the influence of. Okay, if you're drinking alcohol and you drink enough of it, the, the alcohol doesn't own you until you get totally addicted. But at that moment, you're under the influence of alcohol and you do things that later you might be embarrassed that you did. It's the same thing with demons. You come under the influence of these demons and sometimes you do things that you're embarrassed that you did. There's demonic spirits of lust. I'm going to go into how these things get in. I'm going to go into a lot of stuff in weeks to come. There's demo- a lot of different demonic type spirits, and they are trying to destroy your life, make you unhappy, make you feel unloved, make you feel suicidal, make you feel all- you're not worthy to do anything. You're just, you might as well just kill yourself, end it all right now. That is demons. It sent messengers from the, the, the heart of Satan to try to get you to, to, to die. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. So um, if I used this illustration two weeks ago. I want you to think about it again. If when you left for church this morning, you left your house unlocked. Very common here. At least it used to be. I know Wally and Janice never locked their doors and stuff, and they told everybody. They didn't care. And uh, so, but if you left your, do- your door unlocked, you left your window unlocked, and when you came home, there was an intruder in your house. Remember you sharing this? Okay. Does that intruder own your house? No. They're an intruder. They're trespassing. But guess whose job it is to get them out of the house? If you let them stay, it's still your house, but they're going to stay. And it's the same thing with spirits. They are easy to get rid of. The worst thing you could do is be ignorant of them. I think it was Paul said, do not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. And the very things, multiple times the devil... Uh, Paul says, excuse me, he doesn't want us to be ignorant of. Those are the things the church is the most ignorant of. He says about spiritual gifts. He says about spiritual warfare. And he says about uh, demons. Okay? 
So um, I am not trying to make anyone afraid of demons. If anything, I want to empower you to know how to take care of them. Because in your life, they're gonna, you're going to see something. You're going to see things. And guess what? You can be the mouthpiece, the voice of hope and faith in someone else's life to help set them free. You say, I don't know how. We'll show you how. It's really not that hard. You just have to have faith in Jesus. Jesus is the deliverer, okay? We're just saying things in Jesus' name. So um, clearly in the New Testament, uh, believers are called to cast out demons, aren't they? In every great commission that Jesus gave to the disciples, the 12, the 70, and all of them, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, didn't he? Mark 16 talks about it. Uh, Matthew 28 talks about it. There's other places too. We're called to cast demons out of people. But who do we, are we called to cast them out of? Uh, the church log- thinks logically like, well, it must be cast them out of the world. Well, the devil doesn't really bother the world too much. He's already got them. The devil tries to bother us to kill your influence, your testimony, so you won't influence someone else to leave that life and come into the life of Christ and spread the gospel. But also, think about this. If, a, if I went to someone's home and they were not a Christian and they made it blatantly clear they don't believe in Jesus, whatever, but they want me to help them with their demons. And that's happened before. It's happened to Holly in India. It's happened in other places. It's happened in every county, okay? I could, I could pray and I could command those demon spirits to leave. I could, and they would obey me because they have to. Not because it's me, but because it's the word of God. But the, the house is still swept clean. It's now put in order, but it's empty, it's not filled with the Word of God. It's not filled with the Spirit of God. It's not filled with prayer. It's not filled with God. So that house is empty, and their, their condition afterwards is going to be worse than they were before, seven times worse, the Bible says, than they were before. So would it be loving, wise for me as a pastor to go to someone's home and just like, I'm going to show them how much authority I have and cast out demons out of all these people that they don't really want them to go? And they're not saved. They're not born again. They don't have a way to stay free. It might make me look spiritual, but it's going to hurt them. So it's not wise to cast out demons out of unsaved people. Who is left for the church to cast out demons from when the Great Commission said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons? Who's left? It's us. Okay? And guess what? The battle has been the very beginning since the Garden of Eden. It's the same. It's the same. Just now, we now have authority through Christ to get delivered from demons. In the Old Testament, there was no deliverance from demons. Guess what? They were stoned to death. They were killed, put to death with stones or spears or whatever. They were put to death. But now, because of Christ in us, the life of Christ can deliver us from those evil spirits. And you don't have to do the things you used to do. The bondages, the addictions, the compulsions, the, the stuff that you're, you're doing that you've tried and asked God to forgive you again and again and again for things you've done. There's actual power in the name of Jesus to be delivered from those things and set free to live a totally different life. And it's not just based on your willpower. You will have to make some good decisions, and that, that's part of it. Helps. That's part of the metanoia, changing how you think. But there's now power in the name of Jesus to get delivered and set free. So again, I'm not telling you guys all you have demons but you might. And if you do, guess what? Jesus wants you to be free indeed. Indeed. He doesn't want you to have these hidden compartments with squatters living over here. This part of your life's good, but this one room, don't go there. This person's going to freak out. Don't ever talk about that because they're going to explode on you. Well, guess what? There's probably demons surrounding that area of their life. There's some reason they can't go there. One of them is pain, but it could also be demonic stuff. 
It's the lies. If I tell them this, they're going to hate me. If I tell them this in my past, they're going to reject me. If I tell them this, they're going to whatever. And guess what? Lies from hell. They're lies. You know the truth. The truth will set you free. You bring your stuff. The word says bring it out into the light so you can be free. Yeah, but problem with porn, you should be telling everybody. <laughs> well, maybe not everybody. But you can tell me. You can tell some people. <laughs> might freak out your kids or something or whatever. But uh, you should be telling people. You don't have to hide it. You're not alone in that. You can get delivered and set free from a perverted, pornographic, demonic, from the pit of hell spirit. You can't play with it. You can't have pity on them. Oh, it's okay. It only bothers me once a week. It only bothers me once a month. It's from hell. And you need to be delivered from it. If it's, if it's in you, if it's bothering you, you need to be free from it. If it's fear, we can't keep them around like pets. Just say, oh, it's okay. It only bothers me once in a while. Only in this area. Fear is from hell. It's celebrated in the church, but it's from hell. Lust is from hell. Jealousy is from hell. Doubt and unbelief, it's from hell. It doesn't ever come from God. You can get delivered from this stuff. And guess where your life will be afterwards? And a totally another place in him. And even if you never want to, you don't want to think about it again, say, oh, well, Pastor Ryan's lost it this time. You can think that, but I tell you, I've never found it more than when I went and got delivered from demons because I thought it wasn't real. I thought it was fake. I thought Dick Robinson won that was crazy, and he wasn't. He knew more than I did, and he experienced more than I had, and I was a different person afterwards. Remember what happened to Saul? He became into, came in the presence of the prophets. He became a different man, at least temporarily. Now you come in the presence of Jesus, and you become a different man or woman forever forever the spirit of god so the word of god says that jesus he who the son sets free is free indeed i just all i want you to do is to consider the possibility that maybe you have a demonic influence in your life you may have already been delivered and if you have praise god if you haven't then you can be and your life can be better than it is right now I'm not asking you to think about your children right now. I'm not asking you to think about your neighbor. Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah, he's definitely demonized. Oh, absolutely. That guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't take much discernment to figure that out for some of our neighbors and people. But what about us? What, what are we in agreement with in our hearts that didn't come from God? It came from our pain. It came from, you know, what our parents said or what some kid at school said or what someone else said about our identity or who we are and whatever, whatever that's going on in there, the confusion and stuff. Who is the king of confusion, the author of confusion? It's the devil. I just say this briefly, but the whole gender identity crisis thing, there's been an identity crisis since the very beginning of time. Adam and Eve thinking that they were going get, to get smarter by eating of a fruit that God created and told them not to eat. Their identity was children of God and they wanted to listen to a snake talk to them. We've got we to stop listening to the snake and listen to what God says about us because he knows who we are. So, again, my challenge for you today is just go home when it's, well, after I pray, just wait a second, but go home and ask God honestly, is there some kind of spirit that's bothering me? And if there is, I want you to feel empowered by that because you can get set free. There's no condemnation in it. There's no guilt in it. It's like, praise God. God just told me I had a spirit of lust. Well, come here. Guess what? We can cast that bad boy out in a couple seconds. You come out of agreement with it. We command it to go, and it must go. The word says it must obey you. That's what it said. Jesus said that. And either Jesus is true or he's a liar. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And let's say let judgment begin at the house of God. Let's start right here. Do I, if, I, if I judge that I have something going on in there, whatever it is, I want to be free from it. Because you, you just can't picture right now what your life could look like in a few minutes, a few moments, a few weeks or years 
after you've been set free from something that's tormenting you your whole life. And one of the shocks I had for me after my deliverance appointment was a lot of things in my personality, in my heart, that I thought were me, they really weren't me. They were familiar spirits. It talks about that in the Old Testament and New Testament. They were familiar spirits, and they spoke with the same tone of voice that I hear my conscience speak in, the same thing. It was the same. I thought it was me, and it wasn't me. They tricked me. And once I figured out I'd been tricked, once the thief's been caught, he's going to pay sevenfold what he was turned. I'm like, when I got done, I'm like, he's going to pay. He is going to pay for messing with me. That's how I came out of that. And I hope you feel that way too. He's going to pay for messing with you because you have treasure in you, the power of God in you to help your friends, your family, your loved ones get free from demonic influence. But you got to get free yourself first. You just do. So you guys stand. Um, I want to pray for you. You're not going to hear this at every church, and I'm sad by that. I wish you did. What would, our, what would our country look like and our churches look like if we did hear about the power of God? Um, the only way for this not to be true is the devil was already in, uh, in, in the pit, and we were already in the, a, time, a different time frame you know, of, uh, uh, where we're uh, not bound by him, we're not uh, affected by him. But we can throw a lion in with a lamb right now, and you can tell we're not in that season just yet. There's still wars going on. There's still fighting going on. There's still tension. There's still friction. And guess where that comes from? The enemy. Okay? He wants you to believe you're a bad person. He wants you to believe you're evil. He wants you to believe you're without hope. He wants you to believe you're the only one struggling with this thing. Just don't tell anyone your secret, because then they'll think less of you. No, you need to tell somebody. In your family, someone around you, you need to get someone to lay hands on you. You need someone to trust somebody with your heart, your emotions. Some of you guys in here uh, have sexually sinned against your spouse. I just, this came out of nowhere. <laughs> and, uh, and, oh, or, or was sexually sinned against by a spouse. And that was totally influenced by a demonic spirit. It doesn't justify what they did. I'm not trying to make somebody, you know, say that. But there are sexual, demonic assignments on people's families. I had one. I really did. I didn't know it, but I get delivered from one, praise God. And I, after I was delivered from I could see it looking back in my family line like, oh, yeah, this guy, that guy, this person, this cousin, this person. Like, you can see a whole line of it going on there. And, it, and, the, and the sins of the Father is going to keep repeating until somebody steps up and gets free indeed. But praise God, you can. I don't want you to believe a lie that your sin, your addiction, your whatever is beyond the recovery loving arms of Jesus. You can take your stuff to him no matter how embarrassing it is to you. He will embrace you, hold you, love on you, and release you. Look at, the, again, the theme in the Old Testament of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, of Moses coming out of bondage. He wants his sons to be free. Amen. So, God, I thank you for your children right now. I pray, Lord God, that they will not be quick to forget this message. But, Lord, you will prompt their hearts, prompt their spirits. Let them know. Give revelation knowledge. If, if there is some kind of demonic influence of affecting their life, their decisions, their imaginations, their prayers, what they watch on television, what they look at on their phones. If there's some spirit influencing them 
to do such things, God, I pray you would reveal it to them and they would come and talk to somebody about it and get set free. There is no hopeless situations in Christ. There is no hopeless situations in Christ. And those of you that are married to somebody or related to somebody that you feel might be manifest a spirit, it might not be wise for you to cast it out, but you can bind that spirit from manifesting in your presence. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. So, Father, I just bless your children. I pray you empower them to prosper and be free indeed. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. That's why I'm telling you the truth. And um, come back tonight if you can, 630. We have our community worship night. If you need prayer for something, let me know. We'll be glad to pray for you. God bless you guys. You are dismissed.